And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. I'm your host, Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Our very own Linda Stein, news editor extraordinaire, is with us as well. Linda, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks, Michael. How now, are as, you? Now, as we're recording this, we are also prepping for Wednesday night's exclusive first of its kind Delaware Valley Journal debate between the Republicans running for lieutenant governor. Yes, that's true. I've never done a debate with 375 people before, but we'll <laughs> we'll we'll tr- they'll each get 17 seconds to comment. It's going to be pretty wild. Should be fun. It should be. And it's an office that often gets overlooked. And so we're happy to do our part uh, and, and keep an eye. And of course, there are a lot of interesting candidates from the Delaware Valley who are running as well. And we have another debate in the pipeline we'll be talking about later. But today we're talking about the race for uh, U.S. Senate on the Republican side, a wide open, no holds barred uh, uh, Republican primary to fill the seat being vacated by Senator Pat Toomey. Dave McCormick has gotten a lot of attention, not least of which is his connections to the uh, Trump world. And also not least of which is the fact that he uh, oversaw, I think it was, uh, Dave, the largest hedge fund in the world at one time. Is that right? Yes, it was certainly one of the largest. And so we're having him on, obviously, to uh, to talk hardcore politics and then also hoping that a few bucks will fall out of his pocket that we can scoop up and uh, run and buy lunch with. So, Dave, welcome to the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. Thank you. Glad to be with you. So let's start with uh, the, the very first thing. When people meet you, you come up, you come with this kind of big business background thing, whether you like it or not. For some people, it's a big turn on. Always like, you know, he's a businessman, solve things. Other people go, ooh, business, evil. Who is the real Dave McCormick? Yeah, well, I think, uh, it, you know, this is a great opportunity to uh, work your way across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and introduce yourself to people. And I, I introduce myself uh, genuinely as what, how I see myself and what I think I am, which is the guy that grew up in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, uh, you know, worked on, the, on his family's farm and you know, had the great opportunity to go to West Point and, and ultimately serve in our military for uh, five years in the 82nd. So the first 27 years of my life were in, uh, were in Pennsylvania or the military. And that really defined who I am. Everything that's followed um, is a byproduct of those great experiences, the values I learned there, the, the huge opportunity I had. And, and I've never lost that. You know, I have a family farm, which uh, we've had for 45 years. And I have my high school pals who uh, I still am in close touch with. And and that's really the core of, uh, of my life and who I've been. And I think that's the guy that people meet when, uh, when I walk into the diners and introduce myself. But we are in this uh, political populist moment and some of the uh, smart politicos that uh, uh, we talked to at Delaware Valley, Valley Journey go, well, regardless of Dave McCormick's strengths, one of the challenges is going to be you've got a party that's becoming more blue collar, that's more interested in policy that advances the concerns of what used to be called the working class. And Dave McCormick seems to resonate like, you know, the Mitt Romney Republican Party of of the pre-Trump era. What would you say to those critics? And is there a policy that you would advance as a U.S. senator that you would want those folks to know about? Well, I think when, when you talk about the, the challenges and the, and the issues uh, for the people of Pennsylvania and the, and the working families you described, well, I, that's where I grew up. I, I know those families. I know those people. So that's that's where I came from. And then I went to Pittsburgh and I was part of a company that I eventually became the CEO of that created over 600 jobs. So just through that, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty close to the challenges that Pennsylvanians feel. But the thing that's that's really occurred is that, you know, I guess now five or six years ago at this point, uh, Donald Trump came on the scene 
And here's a guy who had this, you know, remarkable business career success and also grew up far away from uh, places like Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, but somehow was able to put his finger on those frustrations. Um, people really felt like the system was, was, was not seeing them. They were forgotten. Um, who came forward with a set of policies on the economy, on energy, on the border, on China, uh, that resonated with the, with the experiences and the, and the problems they were feeling. And then he did the unthinkable when he came into office. He actually did what he said he was going to do. And I think that's really defined, redefined um, you know, conservatism in many ways and, and laid forward a conservative America first agenda, which I embrace. I, I believe those policies were the right policies. I believe they were taking our country in the right direction. And so when I'm asked the question, you just asked me in you know, VFW halls or, uh, or local diners, uh, that's how I answer it. Dave, um, everybody is talking about the crisis in Ukraine. What do you think about how President Biden is handling it? Well, I think the actions of President Biden over the last year, unfortunately, have led to this crisis. And I think it's important to spend a minute on that because I don't think we would have been here under a different president, under if you know President Trump was president or somebody else was president. I think the first thing that he did, uh, which really invited thugs around the world to test us, was the incompetent, uh, terrible exit from Afghanistan. That really invited you know, bullies around the world in China and Iran uh, in Russia to, to test us. And that, that was a big deal. But the, the second thing that really looms large here is that we were on our path to complete energy dominance in the United States, which is a huge deal for Pennsylvania. And by uh, putting forward a set of policies that killed the Keystone Pipeline, that uh, over-regulated our energy industry, he's made us a net energy importer as opposed to an exporter, which we were a year ago, and really empowered uh, Russia. That was a source of confidence and strength for Russia to have the Nord Stream 2 pipeline approved and to be able to uh, exercise that leverage over Europe. And so the actions of, of President Biden really got us to this point. Now we're at this point, it's a, it's a real challenge. Uh, and it's one that we have to handle with a lot of care. As someone uh, who served in the 82nd Airborne Division, as someone, the 82nd Airborne Division was just, a, just deployed. I think it's, it's, it's really important that we don't send troops into harm's way. The people of Pennsylvania, the people of America don't want their sons and daughters engaged in a land war in Ukraine. And so I would be take every step to avoid that and not have our soldiers be drawn into anything. Uh, and I think the most potent thing we could do is really, re and, and that would put the most uh, leverage and, and exercise the most strength vis-a-vis -vis Putin, is to restart our energy industry in the way that it was before Biden came into office and really unleash the power of America's energy dominance. It's incredible the reserves we have. If Pennsylvania were a country, it'd be the fourth largest country in the world in terms of natural gas reserves. I do think we should make it um, painful for uh, President Putin to do what he's doing. I think we should, uh, I'm supportive of, of, of a whole array of sanctions that we would take as long as they aren't damaging uh, to the United States. And I think we should push uh, Europe, particularly Germany and France to stand up and do their, do their part. Let so me, let me follow up. Let me follow up on it, that because I know Linda has more for you, but uh, because you mentioned how Trump might've, uh, you know, uh, handled issues. I assume you saw the statement that President Trump made in an interview like in the last 24 hours where it sounded a lot like he was either admiring Putin's statecraft or he was, some people say, praising Putin. It certainly was not 
something you expect to hear from a president or former president. Uh, Are you, I mean, would you be comfortable with having a president Trump, you know, uh, governing America at a time like this? And do you agree with his take that kind of, you have to admire Putin's skills, even if you, you know, uh, don't admire his motives? Well, I I actually didn't, didn't read president Trump's statement, but, 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 but I do know, um, I, I have been in rooms with President Putin. I think President Putin is a, is a thug. Um, I think he's a. Uh, I, I think he is certainly going to be moving in a way that's going to be, you know, promoting Russia's interest in, in ways that might very much contradict America's interest. And I think he has to be dealt with 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 a calm, but very very strong, uh, strong hand. And um, I'm certainly agreeing that uh, while the Ukraine is in, uh, while Ukraine is important is an important strategic question. It's not one that is worthy of America sending its military uh, uh, into action. And, uh, and we need to keep, keep an eye uh, on the fact that China really poses the greatest risk. And we need to keep looking over our shoulder because it's at moments like this where you could see China begin to be much more aggressive as it relates to Taiwan and other things. So I think it's a perilous moment. And I think the, the, the Biden administration has essentially laid the groundwork to get us here. Dave, uh, you mentioned China just now, and uh, you've been criticized for your company uh, doing some business with China in the past. What do you say to those critics? Well, if, if I could, let me just start, and I'll answer the question directly in one second, but I think China, it's important to start by saying China really does pose an existential risk. It, it is a moment where uh, China poses an economic risk to our country, it poses a national security risk. And it needs to be dealt with with a whole of nation strategy. Um, and, w- and by that, I mean, we need to decouple in key strategic industries like uh, pharmaceutical, like semiconductors. It's ridiculous that we're dependent on China for those things. I think we need to continue uh, the trade policies that President Trump put in place um, to make sure that the, the playing field is fair on the things that we do trade, like natural gas, for example, which President Trump negotiated. I think that's uh, we need to have make sure those deals are fair. We need to hold China accountable for things like fentanyl, for things like COVID emanating from Wuhan and for the terrible treatment of the Uyghurs. And something I do think we need to do is make sure we have outbound investment reviews. We we now have a process in our country where we review inbound investment, but we need to also look at outbound investment to make sure that US companies aren't doing things either intentionally or inadvertently that are um, you know helping to build the Chinese, uh, modernize the Chinese military and so forth. Now, in terms of me, um, the final point I'd make is that we need leaders. This is this is high stakes poker. We need leaders in the Senate, leaders in Washington who are experienced, who understand the nature of that challenge and can be a force and a leader in going toe to toe with the Chinese. And and the, the, the case I make to the people of Pennsylvania is first uh, in the first phase of my career, I spent a decade uh, focused on fighting the communists. It were the communists in the USSR, but communists nonetheless. In the second phase of my career, I negotiated at the highest levels of government against the Chinese. Um, I, I was responsible for putting in place a number of restrictions and controls in terms of the technology that could be sent to China to the point that the Chinese uh, you know, uh, wanted to eliminate my role, eliminate my job, and uh, get rid of me because I was uh, viewed as such a hawk. And I, as early as 2006, was talking about the technology thefts in form and publicly, the technology theft, the modernization of the PLA. And the third phase uh, of my career in the last 12 years, I've six of them run a big investment firm. And that investment firm did 
did business in 20 countries around the world, including China, with about 2% of our business in China. And my answer to that is, you know, just like President Trump had global business experience and that business experience in China and around the world, that business experience made him a stronger president that could negotiate at the highest level. That experience will also make me a stronger senator. So when I show up on day one, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected, I know what to do and I know what we're dealing with. And I've had the track record and the the track record of toughness and experience to, to make it a reality. Dave, uh, you had recently visited the border. What was it there that you saw that would inform your thoughts and priorities as a senator? You know, I, the reason I went to the border was because when I was driving across Pennsylvania uh, in, these, in, in towns and cities and asking people their top three issues, again and again and again, the border came up. And despite the fact that we're obviously not a border state. And um, the reasons, of course, you know well. Um, first, it's the, uh, it's the incredible spike in fentanyl that's coming into uh, our Commonwealth because of uh, President Biden's open border policy. It's doubling in magnitude, and that's having a huge impact in our communities and addiction and deaths. Second, it's the crime that's resulting from a huge inflow of illegal immigration, which is happening in our sanctuary cities and moving into our suburbs. And then it's the incremental burden of, uh, of a huge inflow of illegal immigrants into our, uh, into our economy and into our uh, uh, services that is putting a burden on taxpayers and a burden on the citizens of Pennsylvania. I wanted to see that for myself. And as bad as it looks on television, I can assure you it's worse. Um, I went to the Yuma sector, which is about a 150 mile stretch. I met with the border patrol. I met with the farmers. I met with the local sheriff. I met with the mayor. And in one year, we've gone from 30 illegal immigrants processed uh, every day through that sector to 1,000. And those are just the ones that go through the system and, and apply for asylum and so forth. And the thing that's obvious is it's completely out of control. The border, the border could, uh, patrol couldn't possibly manage it. It's overwhelming. And the, and the people that are coming across, to my surprise, this is a, a big learning for me, are mostly not Mexicans or mostly not even from Central America. Uh, they are... Uh, people from uh, uh, Uzbekistan and Russia and around the world that are using our open borders as a way to get into the United States, often for very nefarious purposes. The cartels are alive and well on the border. Uh, their power has grown. And the human exploitation in um, drug trafficking and prostitution and child exploitation is just uh, awful. So uh, that brought that encouraged me to come back. And I met with our, our addiction centers at Gateway or Rehabilitation. I met with some local prosecutors, some sheriffs. This is a big deal. And, uh, and Pennsylvania needs a senator that's going to go uh, to Washington and fight on day one for secure borders and getting back control of our sovereignty. Okay, uh, well, one last thing I wanted to ask you about is you have a, a poll that was just released that shows that you're now ahead of Dr. Oz. Um, what do you attribute that to? Well, you know, I'm a first time candidate. Um, so I've been in the race for a month. And my strategy has been, you know, very clear, which is, I think I mentioned, but I've got this Ford F-150 pickup from my family farm and I'm driving across the Commonwealth. I'm sitting in it right now. I'm driving from, uh, from county to county. I'm meeting people in VFWs and diners and so forth and making sure that I have a handle on the key issues and making sure I'm building relationships and support among the grassroots. And then I'm running a media campaign where I'm introducing myself 
uh, to the people of Pennsylvania, where I'm using the commercials as a way, you know, in a very short uh, time frame with the primary to make sure that they know who I am and the things that I believe in and that I care for. And, um, and I think that that message is resonating, honestly. And I, uh, you know, I'm presenting myself as I am, which is a, a Pennsylvania kid and, uh, you know, someone who's had great success uh, and feels privileged uh, to be able to come to Pennsylvania as the senator if, if I'm elected and make sure that other kids have that same American dream. Uh, my kids, your kids, the kids of Pennsylvania have that same opportunity. So I think uh, as I spend more time with people, I think they see that that's my intention. And they, I think they know that the, the world and, and our country is in a very dangerous spot and that they need seasoned leaders. So I'm, I'm hoping I can continue the momentum and uh, I, I'm entering this with a lot of humility. I know there's a lot I don't know, but, uh, but so far it feels like we're off to a pretty good start. And here's your big finish. You're a big time business guy. You've done a lot of elevator pitches. You've taken a lot of elevator pitches. Give the Republican primary voters your elevator pitch for why you are the right candidate to hold this seat for the GOP. Well, the uh, the tagline I use for my campaign is that um, I'm battle tested in Pennsylvania true. And what I mean by that is, you know, in my uh, life, both as a as a military guy, as a combat veteran, as someone who's run multiple companies, as someone who's made a made a payroll, someone who's had to build a business and create jobs, um, who's someone who negotiated at the highest levels of government. I've had a set of experiences and successes that really uh, put me in a good position to address the, the incredible challenges we have at this moment. And the fact that our country is really going in a, in a terrible direction with the weak policies and the wokeness that we see across our country. And I'm Pennsylvania true. And by that, I mean, I'm a seventh generation Pennsylvanian. Um, I've had everything this great Commonwealth has to give. I know it inside and out. I've, I've wrestled and played football in every little gym from Shikalimi to Sealands Grove to Mount Carmel uh, to Shemokin Dam. And I'm, uh, I'm a guy that understands Pennsylvania, is deeply committed to it. And I'm an outsider, someone who's going to Washington for the sole purpose of, uh, of, of supporting and, and representing the great people of Pennsylvania. And, uh, and I view it as a privilege to do so. And so that's, uh, that's, my, that's my elevator pitch. Dave McCormick, thanks so much for joining us here on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. We appreciate your time. Thanks. Uh, good to be with both of you. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.